Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. You know, people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. For the final time from Nashville, this is the Fenway Rundown Podcast. I'm Chris Cotillo, Sean McAdam here as well, as we wrap up the winter meetings, which are coming to a close. Three days of what's usually nonstop action. It was more like full-stop action for most teams across baseball, but the Red Sox made, I guess, the biggest move that's been made in three days here, and it was a wild one. I will tell our story of how we learned it, long day of writing, the Wonderful UNC Tar Heels about to play, sit down for dinner, order a beer, and Jeff Paston's tweet that the Red Sox have traded Alex Verdugo to the Yankees comes across the screen, and our night of fun turned into a few more hours of work. That is, uh, as Sean told me yesterday, our lot in life as beat reporters who cover this team. So it is what it is. Uh, It was surprising, I think, because it was Craig Breslow's first big move. It involved the Yankees, but... One that I think, when you take a step back, look at it, look what led up to it, makes a lot of sense for the Red Sox, Sean. Well, we knew that Verdugo was very likely to be moved this winter. Uh, I think his time had come to an end here. The relationship with Alex Cora, if not completely broken, was certainly damaged by the events of last summer, where twice he was disciplined. Uh, He arrived late to the ballpark leading to Cora saying it was one of his worst days as manager of the Red Sox. Clearly, they were ready to move on from him. He had a year left. There was no interest in talking about an extension. So move him now and get something for him. And the Red Sox ended up getting some pitching inventory in return, including one guy, Richard Fitz, who was an Eastern League All-Star, in fact, pitcher of the year at AA in that AA league, uh, may have some upside to be you know, a number four, and number five starter. If that's what he develops into, then it's a pretty good trade for one year of control of Alex Verdugo, a player who never maximized his ability here and created as much drama as he did wins. Yeah, I think that's, you know, the biggest takeaway in uh, two things. I think two parts. The Red Sox outfield-wise feel like they're in a very good spot with Willie Rebreu, he's probably going to be the everyday right fielder, barring a, a surprise addition. Jaron Duran, Yoshida, 
Rafaela, the guys they have, and that made Verdugo with a year left expendable. We all know Roman Anthony's coming up in a year, uh, probably to take over uh, one of those spots, unless he's traded into Blockbuster, but that doesn't seem super likely. And the other part was, I just think, culturally, you know, clubhouse-wise, I think they look at this as an addition by subtraction. You know, I think they look at it, especially in the eyes of Alex Cora, who has not been shy, as we wrote today, about, you know, expressing to people with the team that he'd rather see Verdugo traded than be back. That, you know, just in terms of, you know, setting the tone, setting the culture, which has been a big theme of the week, as we talked about in the last pod we did, Alex Verdugo was no longer a fit. Um, You touched on this already a little bit, but how do you assess Verdugo's legacy in these four years? I think a very complicated one and generally a disappointing one. Yeah, certainly he underachieved as a player. You hear teammates and other people around the game talk about his ceiling. You even had Kenley Jansen, who was a teammate in L.A. and again this past season in Boston, say that he thought Verdugo had Hall of Fame talent. I happen to think that's a stretch. This is a guy who in four seasons, including three full-length seasons at Fenway, never hit more than 13 home runs. As a corner outfielder, that's unacceptable. And there were just stretches where he seemed unfocused, Uh, not fully committed to what he was doing, showing up late, bad habits. He could turn it on. He could have a great month and a half, as he did at the start of last season. He could have a terrific postseason in 2021. He could be a dynamic player when he was on. The problem was that was too infrequent. And then you start adding the baggage that he delivered off the field. And it just wasn't worth it, particularly with him heading to free agency. I think that's the the takeaway here. You know, the Red Sox looked at him, as you mentioned, as a guy who was not a candidate for a contract extension. Another thing we've written, if this is a guy whose effort comes and goes and the motivation comes and goes before he gets that huge deal, what's he going to be like when he has, I don't know, $80 million, $100 million over a five-year deal in his pocket? Not saying he'll get that, but that's what he's playing for. That's what's on the table. Um, and they just I don't think they felt like he was the guy they wanted to hook themselves to long-term, especially with the prospects and the, and the names we've mentioned. I think he is going to be poised for a big year in the Bronx just for multiple reasons. He's the type of guy that, you know, this might light a fire under him, getting traded from the Red Sox to the Yankees, proving Alex Cora wrong, proving the Red Sox wrong. He talked a big game about trying to prove the Dodgers wrong in the last few years after the Mookie Betts trade. And now, you know, in a proximity where they see each other 13 times a year, Red Sox, Yankees, everything that goes with it. I think that's going to play into it. Also playing for that deal. You know, he's a depressed asset right now. You know, you talked about before on the pod a million times, literally the definition of a league average hitter last year. Keith Law in The Athletic went further today, looking at his numbers against lefties and said he's a platoon player, a part-time player. We need to stop acting like this guy is a full-time player, which I think is a little harsh, but, um, you know, the the performance in, in certain ways might might merit that. And And the third thing I'd say is just... The Yankee Stadium effect, I think that's going to help him. The power numbers will probably go up with a couple um, bombs to the short porch there. So I think he's going to have a big year. Maybe uh, this is what really you know gets his career on track, and he cashes in somewhere next winter. I think that this could be the boost that he, you know, for some reason, despite every effort from Alex Gore on the Red Sox, never took here. You are more optimistic about what to expect from him next year than I will be. Because I will point out to you that while he can use the trade as motivation and prove the Red Sox wrong, as you noted, he wanted to do the same thing with the Dodgers. 
and he was a very average player in total in four years here. So what gives us reason to believe that that's going to change just because he's been given up on and traded by a second team? And by the way, when you're 27 years old and you're on your third team, maybe that should be a message that sinks in. It's funny, I shared with you a text message from a friend of mine who lives in New York and knows baseball very well and sent a text to me today asking, how will Verdugo do in New York? And I told him, honestly, it could go either way. He could respond to that challenge of playing on the big stage and the bright lights. We've seen how much he likes that big moment. He likes playing in New York as a visitor. He's jawing with the fans. He's giving it back to them. And it seems to energize him. But the problem is he can't maintain that level of focus and concentration for a full six-month-long season. So will there be some big moments when he hits a walk-off home run and it looks like he's going to be king of the Bronx? Yes. Will it be sustainable? I don't think so. That's the big move over the last couple of days Red Sox have been. As we've been talking about now for three weeks, four weeks, linked to every starting pitcher on the market. No movement uh, in terms of that, and we'll touch on that a little bit later. Today, though, the Red Sox do make a move for Justin Slayton, a reliever in the Rule 5 draft. Not going to spend a ton of time on this, but the Red Sox, as we expected, lost Shane Drone in the Rule 5 draft to the White Sox. They lose a reliever, Ryan Fernandez, in the Rule 5 draft to the Cardinals. And they get, uh, through a kind of creative trade, um, Justin Slayton, who many thought was the best reliever or best guy available in this whole process. So now, clearly... Craig Breslow is targeting arms and characteristics around the league that he likes. We saw that with the Isaiah Campbell move for Arias a couple weeks ago. We saw that with you know the trade last night. Three pitchers come in. And then today, a fifth pitcher in this one who has, as a Rule 5 guy, a, a legitimate chance to make uh, the opening day roster. So no surprise to me that he's targeted five pitchers in three trades and zero position players. Um, any takeaways from the Slayton move or approaching that or – general bullpen construction because of it well they're giving themselves more options out there literally uh because although slayton won't have options he'll be a guy that has to either be on the il or on the active roster for the entire season just as if the red sox had selected him themselves as a rule five pick the fact that he made a brief pit stop for a couple of hours from arlington texas to queens new york on to boston uh, doesn't relieve them of that responsibility but he's not going to be a huge difference maker, I wouldn't expect. He could be somebody that sticks and an arm for the future. He does throw hard. They do think he has long-term back-end bullpen capabilities. But you and I know that this offseason is going to be determined, the success of this offseason and the beginning of the Breslow era is going to be determined on whether he gets starting pitching and not just any starting pitching, because you can get Lucas Giolito and you can get Seth Lugo and deepen the rotation and give yourself some veteran innings guys at the back end. But the problem is they need high end. They need a true number one or number two. Maybe Jordan Montgomery's a bit of a push at number two, but somehow either through free agency or trade, they need to get somebody who can be a legitimate top of the rotation guy and they seem right now to be a long way away from that. The market hasn't moved. Craig Breslow today acknowledging a little bit of disappointment, not coming out of here with a starting pitcher. The names we talked about on the trade market, Burns, Bieber, Glass now, maybe Mitch Keller. 
Um, I'm so tired. I'm forgetting some, but you know who they are at home. The guys in the free agent market, Yamamoto, Montgomery, Blake Snell, even Giolito, the Lugos of the world. None of those guys moved. I mean, what was the biggest free agent deal signed here? 15 million total. Eric Fetty, maybe. Um, maybe Victor Caratini, I think, the backup catcher. So not a lot of movement on the market. As I said, the Verdugo deal, the biggest by any teams here. Is it concerning the Red Sox haven't gotten this done still? Or to you, is it just a matter of where the market sits? I think the the market is stalled as everyone waits to see what's going to happen with Otani, not necessarily for pitching in 24, of course, but he just is the elephant in the room here, taking up all the oxygen, to mix metaphors, if I may. And the other guy is Yamamoto. Um, once he goes and once he decides where he's going to sign, uh, then I think the starting pitching market will begin to loosen a little bit. And maybe the Red Sox will have time. Look, I'm not saying in the first week of December that they've somehow blown this. But when you look at the limitations they're dealing with, taking themselves out essentially of the Blake Snell race because of the compensation draft pick that comes with having a qualified offer, and then uh, not bidding much on NOLA or not seriously bidding on Aaron NOLA, uh, you're down to... Yamamoto is your only free agent number one guy out there. Montgomery is more of a number two or maybe even number three. If they're not going to be in on trading for rentals like the Ceases and the Beavers and Glassnows and all those guys, and they're not going to be in on a number of free agents for a number of reasons, where then do they find a top of the rotation guy? And it's getting harder to see that path. I think so, too. And obviously, you know, uh, Yamamoto is the big fish. Unclear if they are still interested or not. Unclear how that has gone. We have not really heard much about him. There are some finalists that have leaked out, and the Mets, the Yankees are clearly in. We don't know what the Red Sox are doing because Craig Breslow would not say. Generally, my thoughts on Craig Breslow this week, um, very guarded, very hesitant to say anything. We saw Aaron Boone and Dave Roberts and... Brian Cashman, unsurprisingly, kind of break the media rules, and Craig Breslow is not really willing to give us much. He doesn't think, I forget his exact uh, way of saying it, but doesn't think it would be very productive to get into individual names. I mean, to me, I understand it because that's kind of the code they follow. This guy wants to get Red Sox fans riled up, say, yeah, we're trying for Yamamoto. Yeah, we're trying for Otani. It's what the big market teams do. The Yankees are trying to get Juan Soto, you know, and Aaron Boone said Yamamoto would look good in pinstripes. Just, I don't see the downside as much. I know we're biased because we want the headline, right? But why not? Even if you're not going to get him, why not? Yeah, it is a cautious approach so far by Breslow, which as you and I know, and I think most people listening know, is not unexpected for a first-time lead executive in baseball. Um, Craig Breslow is not wet behind the ears, by any stretch, he's worked in baseball a long time as a pitcher, as a director of pitching development, as an assistant GM. He's been to GM meetings. He's been to winter meetings. He knows how they work. This is, yes, his first time as being the guy. So not unlike Bloom when he came to Boston in somewhat of a similar capacity in the first time, number one job, number one chair, he too was guarded. And frankly, we do have a selfish interest in him saying more and being more open. Ultimately, that isn't real important. It's about what he does. 
and whether he's able to secure that top line starter. Uh, my problem is, as I said, it's getting harder to see that path. Even this early, they've shut themselves off from another a number of avenues, and you wonder how you navigate this. Is he really willing to give up Marcelo Meyer or Kyle Teal or Roman Anthony? Because to get a guy with three or four years of controllable uh, time left and to be a guy that could slot in as a two or one, that's the kind of return it's going to take. Are they willing to go to, as Ken Rosenthal and others have started to venture, $300 million on Yamamoto? That doesn't strike me as a John Henry type of deal in 2023. It might have been at one time. It doesn't seem to be now. So um, it, it isn't the frustration of Breslow not being as forthcoming as we might like for our own self-interest. It's, um, it's wondering how he gets to where he needs to be. My column after the Voodoo Go trade, it was just time for this guy to go. The relationship was fractured, and, you know, it was time. Your column, Craig Breslow makes a big, bold move and shows that he's not really afraid. Did you learn that about him here? Yeah, I think so. Uh, the fact that he's dealing with the arch-rival New York Yankees when there have only been a half dozen trades between the two teams in the last 50 years, a couple of them completely inconsequential. The fact that he said you know what? I like this return best. I don't care if it means Verdugo's going to spend a year in the Bronx and maybe trying to make us pay for it. And maybe it's going to motivate him. And maybe we're helping a team in our own division for a year. I don't think anybody expects Verdugo to be a long-term resident uh, of the Bronx. But it, it showed to me that Breslow is not terribly mindful of perception or how people look at him or listening to Red Sox fans say, you can't make the Yankees better. That's not helping. He doesn't care about that. So uh, I think that's a positive. But again, he's got to show it by putting together a better rotation. Let's touch on those Yankees for a second. Verdugo is their first splash. I think he's probably going to play right field. Aaron Judge maybe in center, and their left fielder is projected now to be a guy by the name of Juan Soto. As we record this about 7 o'clock local on whatever day it is, Wednesday Wednesday night, whatever. Um, the rumors are the Yankees and Padres are working to finalize that deal. Verdugo's not in it. BC grad Michael King is. Higashioka uh, drew Thorpe five or six pieces. I didn't ever cover the Red Sox when in the days of the great arm races that you did, but is this the type of move where, you know, back in the day the Yankees would strike and the Red Sox would have to strike back? And just how different is it now with the feeling between the two? Yeah, I, I don't know that that ever really existed. I mean, they were both going after, you know, we remember the battle, uh, you know, for some free agents and uh, Larry Lucchino saying uh, the evil empire you know, stretches to wherever. There, there was some battle over some common players, um, but I never thought they were responding to one another. I think they knew that they had to get better be and, and compete, but I didn't see it, you know, having to match the Yankees tit for tat to, to, to echo every move they made. In fact, Theo Epstein went out of his way to say that, you know, that wasn't the case. And I think it's dangerous to sometimes respond to what others in your division are doing. I think as we've heard a, a favorite phrase of Craig Breslow this week, 
we have to run our own race. And I agree with that. He's got to focus on whatever it is that makes the Red Sox better, not worry terribly. Let's remember, too, the Yankees finished, what, four games in front of the Red Sox. Mm. They were barely over 500. They didn't make the playoffs. The Yankees are not the team to catch or beat here. There are better, more talented teams in that division. You can't start responding to everything that all four other East teams are doing. You've got to make your team better, and Brezzo's got a lot of work to do that to catch up because the Red Sox have been in the basement two years in a row and three times in the last four. I think it's just interesting that, like, you know, as Juan Soto becomes available, the Yankees are making this push, the Blue Jays are making the push. Red Sox never even talked about, never even discussed. I know they have young outfielders. Maybe those are the guys you trade, you know, and clearly they're focused on young pitching. The Padres is what they want in this deal. We all know the Red Sox, other than Brian Bayo, don't have that to offer. I don't know if you'd consider Bayo untouchable for a year of Juan Soto. It probably wouldn't be something the Red Sox would do, but just the fact they're not even in that type of stratosphere anymore, I'm sure it differs from a lot of winter meetings you've covered. We're going to wrap here. It's been a pleasure coming to you from Nashville. The guy in the listener yesterday who said I was miserable on this podcast, I hope I've been much more cheery today, and I'll be better next time after much more sleep than we get. And if you want my misery and Sean's comments as well, Sean has a great way for you to do it. That's right. It's the Red Sox Insider Text. We've had a lot of people sign up this week because they know that this is the time of year where they want access to all Red Sox information. You get a chance to text with Chris, with me, with our colleague and friend Chris Smith, and get all the information you need this winter, next spring, and all throughout baseball, 12 months a year. All you have to do is text the word JOIN to 617-751-6257, then simply click the link and subscribe today. You get a 14-day free trial period, and after that, it's $4.99 a month. We think it's worth it. We're having a lot of fun responding and texting back and forth with you. We uh, invite you to join us. Until next week, it's been the Fenway Rundown. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.